Scripture this morning comes from Luke chapter 7. Please follow along with me. One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. Before we get started this morning, let me just say a couple of words, especially after our Truth Table weekend, which was an exciting time for us. Amen. And, um, you know, I think um, some of we've heard some were really bothered by some of the things Truth Table said and the way they said it. And um, when we decided to be the church we are and be a church that grows in diverse community, we recognize that we would bring in people and be exposed and expose our congregation to people who, let me say very clearly, are still within biblically, right, conservative, if you will, camps, but are on one end of the spectrum or not. If you come from a PCA church, that's Presbyterian Church in America, or an evangelical church, I'm going to let you know you have gotten plenty of exposure to the right side of the church. Amen? Go ahead and say it. Yeah, it's true. But um, many of us have not gotten exposure to what I would describe as the progressive side of the same group, the same church. Um, and so I know some are like, oh, is that what the elders think at Christ Central? Is that what they believe politically? Is that where they stand um, on President Trump? Is that where they stand on him being a white nationalist or driven by a white supremacist um, philosophy and all those sort of things? And my answer to you is, I don't know, because I don't know what they all think. Isn't that amazing? I don't know where all the elders stand politically. Praise God. But I know where they stand with you. They're your shepherds. They're here to give you the word of God. They're here to take some of the things you're struggling with in the world and give you a biblical worldview to deal with these things, to act responsibly, right? 
wherever you vote, wherever you stand, wherever your passions are on the issues, right? And so we have these groups that are happening in our church, these discussion groups, which the elders will be a part of. I want you to know that this is our ministry, our continuing ministry of Christ Central Church and not Truth Table, right? They've informed us. They've helped us. They've educated us in, in, a, in a large part and growing part of our church today and people we will reach and we appreciate it. It was a dynamic weekend for me and it challenged me in so many ways. And like I said, when they came, it, it helped, you know, my need for Jesus to grow, right? And we are a church that seeks to be politically anonymous from up here. Now, if you come over to my house, you want to talk politics? I'm going to know what Howard Brown knows about politics. I probably still wouldn't tell you. I'm probably not good at it. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not really good at formulating all that stuff. I'll be wrong, right? And I like looking at the news and all the new salacious stories. And so I'm not the kind of person, right, you want to talk to about this. I have opinions and I will give you my personal opinion. But it is my goal and my hope, right, that I am free and freed by the word of God to actually call out real issues of mercy and justice and empowerment and dignity, issues dealing with women and, and, and gender and sexuality and all those things. And that's what we've been doing in these, this sermon series. And it is not easy. So if you are just cruising through, then maybe this thing ain't working for you. If you are struggling, I urge you, you know, the first thing we want to do is jump ship when we deal with politics. Oh, they said something politically I don't agree with. I'm ready to leave, right? Not over heresy, right? Not over theology, but over a political thing, you ready to roll and jump ship, right? That's really, it's time to grow up, y'all. If we're going to be a church that leads in this city, we're going to have to grow up and stop jumping ship over that. We're going to have some political disagreements, let me tell you. And you're going to feel like God backs yours, right? And we won't know who he backed probably till we get to heaven. We don't know whether God watched NBC or Fox or CNN. We don't know which one he chooses to look at. Right, but I will promise you this, when he comes back, every single one of those buildings and news place, it will be leveled for the coming of his kingdom. Amen. Right? So I want you to enjoy, I want you to engage in politics, I want y'all to fuss and argue, I want y'all to sweat and wipe the sweat off, right? No, you're not right, because blah, 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 good, right? But let's come back to this. This is Christ central. Amen. We seek that Christ be central and we do care about the manner that we talk to each other and the dignity at which we speak and we do seek truth so i want to just encourage you that th that is this church right where if, if you want to go to a church where you feel a lot more comfortable go ahead this is not christ central from the very beginning we, we tell you and we used to tell in a joking way right you know, you come to Christ Central, when we deal with issues of, of, of race and ethnicity and politics and, and all these things, and we begin to work out what we see in the gospel among such a diverse group of people, it's like a cage match. And y'all, ha, 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 and laugh. Right? I laugh too until I'm in the cage match. Right? But I promise you one thing about our elders. They will not stand above the word of God. They will not allow their politics to do it. And some of the things you may have heard, it appeared that that's what happened. Like, so Michelle saying this, or Kimini saying this, or Christina saying this. And they said it on Friday and Saturday night, but they didn't say it on Sunday morning right here, right? Right? And your elders didn't say it, did they? So I want you to be comforted by the fact that we're not going to run away from these issues. We're going to lean into them with the gospel. Right? And as a church, we'll grow. We don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. We're going to grow. Right? God's taken us through a journey, and sometimes it's, it's clearer than others. But I urge you to talk to your elders. I trust every single one of them to sit down with you and talk. I do. But I urge you to lean, not leave. Lean 
in, right? But that ain't this church, y'all, right? If you, if you just want to go to, I'm not going to say that, but that ain't, we, we ain't the one. We ain't the one. Speaking of some challenges, Mike's right. I can't ready for the, can't wait for the sermon series to be over. I just want to do a regular book of the Bible, y'all. You don't know how my stomach be churning before and after, right? I'll be wondering what people are thinking. Man, they didn't say goodbye. They must be mad. Yeah, I think that. I'm human. I'm not a machine up here. As a matter of fact, the other night, Saturday night, I was walking into Harris Teeter. Coming out of Harris Teeter with three black men, young men, with what I would describe as effeminate clothing choices. Oh, yeah, it's one of these sermons, y'all. I'm going to share some stuff. Oh, I'm scared, but I'm going to share it. Complete with purses. I, I mean, really nice purses. This dude had an all-fur purse. It was, it was something. I don't even think, you don't have one of those, Kelly. It was an all-fur <laughs> purse. And makeup. And they walked and moved in a way that I would describe from my cultural perception like a woman. I thought, man, that seems so irregular. I'm just telling you, right? I'm, I'm letting y'all in. I thought, that ain't right. Something's wrong with that. Something wrong with that. I'm confused. My inner computer is crashing. I can't process this. Why did I feel this way? And then really, what comes next? What, what will I do with that? What will I do with them? What, what do I do with me and my thoughts? Will I think sinners? That's a doggone shame. Wasted black manhood. All the black men. We don't have enough black men. And we got those, right? No. Well, I think that's okay with God. He don't care. He doesn't care who and how we do it when it comes to sexuality and gender. Will I just run and hide, maneuver from having, away from having to do or think anything at all? I just need to move to the right side of town where I don't see all that. Right? It's my fault for being out at midnight. Right? And though I will not in this sermon talk mainly, sorry y'all about whether which sexual diversities are the most sinful. I have a sermon online from Corinthians, sermon series, if you want to dig it up. I think it's chapter 6 and 7. And even though, because I won't get into all the ins and outs of sexuality in this sermon, determining what's right or wrong, some of you may be frustrated. But just hang in there, right? This is a frustrating thing. Let me go ahead and say it. All sexuality... If everyone who's in Christ is moving towards sanctification and away from brokenness, I believe that. And any sexuality that, that does not hold to the intimate and pure qualities of what we see in Jesus' relationship with the church and in God's created dignity and design for human flourishing, I would say is inconsistent with Christian discipleship. Okay, y'all can go and listen to the message and break that down later. And with that said, still, we must ask ourselves, bumping into stuff, with all the verses about sexual abominations, that's an abomination, and that's unnatural sexuality, along with kind of the quip, kind of oversimplified statements from church people that I've heard and even said myself, like, it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. It's Adam and Eve, not Madam and Eve, Right? How should the church be doing that? Should we have shirts that say that? Should that be the way we answer these complicated, listen to last week's sermon, issues? I mean, how should the church, that's the community, institution, and individual believers address sexual diversity? This narrative answers with three things I believe will be helpful going forward. This is about us now. First, we must make space for sexual diversity to Jesus, right? 
to and with Jesus. Okay? Secondly, we must be most impressed by Jesus. And finally, we must actually trust in the forgiving power of Jesus. Last week in part one of this part, two-part sermon on how the church should address sexual diversity, we looked at Psalm 139 and we recognized that regardless of where someone may be on the sexuality spectrum, nothing can stop God from finding and following them with his powerful grace. That God, even though we may, that God has no limitations in who he can call and then make his children. With that kind of God, the church and its people must be a space for those of varying sexual diversities to come. This passage says that Jesus goes to a dinner party at the house of Simon, a Pharisee. And being a Pharisee, a church leader, it meant Jesus was hanging out with the holy rollers of his day. He was hanging out with the right of his day. And that this woman comes in. Not just any woman, but how does this passage describe her in verse 37? A woman of the city, a sinner. We know what this means for women when they're described that way. She was a sexual outcast. She was a sexual pariah, pariah, a perpetrator and victim of sexual apartheid, a, a victim, consumer, and merchant of the city's sexuality. I want us to understand that sexuality and being a sinner, understand that sexuality and being a sinner in it is not just about the way a person decides to live out their sexuality. That's the easy definition. But how they are mistreated and excluded and exploited and abused in it and by it because of it, by others, by the community. They are that way in large part because of personal and community decisions. Look how she comes in. She is not invited. It's not her people. This ain't the kind of party for you, for you kind of people. And the Bible says that she heard about Jesus being there and went behind him, not, not to the table and say, hey, you know, let, let me have some of this. Let, let me hang out with y'all. No, the Bible says that she didn't come to the table, but she went behind him to his feet to anoint him. Now understand the way things went back then. Guests would recline at the table and they would kind of uh, have their feet folded under them and the feet would stick out behind, behind them and the you know, table would be so high and they would sit on pillows and lay their elbows on the table. And it was the servants typically, the lowliest that were not invited to sit at the table, but would get the guests possibly ready to eat by washing their feet before they get there. Or when they sit at the table in a time where people walked, right, everywhere with open shoes. Some people didn't even have shoes to wear them all the time. In the dust, in the dung, in the waste. And when this happens, Simon the Pharisee thinks to himself and says this in verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee who invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So if you were to take what Simon said should have been Jesus's reaction along with how and where she approaches Jesus, this is just not a woman who struggles and lives in, 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 in a sexual broken, is broken off and isolated from community and God's grace. But she is sexually ashamed. She has to sneak in and sneak around, right? She was delegated to the night, to the city, to the shadows, to the secret, to the closet, to behind closed doors, to protect herself and others, but not in the light and definitely not near holy people, in their homes and in their lives 
lives and you can't be in part of the family in so-called holy places. And let me bring it down a bit. Spaces that regular, normal, good, red-blooded Christian Americans live. Right? But if you think about what she's actually doing, it guides us. How the Lord is calling the church to address all this sexuality. The Bible says this in verse 38. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Jesus tells this story that qualifies what she's doing as being an act, right? An ability and a space, hear this, to praise God. Do you hear that? To repent, to be received by God, to be as close and intimate as God has allowed anyone else through Jesus, despite her shame. Despite her sexuality and where it may be broken and damaged, this woman is worshiping. And she is pouring out an offering of highest praise to Jesus in the way she's doing it. Being allowed, do you hear me? Being allowed to be all up at God's feet and at Jesus' feet is holy ground. Now, the Pharisees don't know Jesus is God, the embodied uh, God in, 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 the wor- in this word, that he's, not the, that he's the way, the truth, and the life of God. They call him a prophet in verse 39. But she is before God, y'all. In space, where the sexually broken and bullied and bruised and forced to live in rejecting, rejecting shame on the outside can interface and meet God. And where she can worship and be seen by the Lord. But the trippy part of the story is as church leaders, think about it. Pharisees like Simon, the people who know the word of God, right? The people who, who, who live out in a, in a good and upright have not made themselves, their lives, their homes, their group of friends, or their religious spaces, a place where people who are sexually diverse to bring their lives. For people like her, right? The holy path and space is first filled with disqualifying boundaries and you have to drop, jump over this hoop. All these things in the way from worshiping and engaging with the Lord. So why? Why is this woman so audacious? Why is she free to make a scene? Doesn't she know that that she shouldn't be up in there? I mean, she's coming all proud, looking that way and acting that way. I mean, what's her problem? Why does she feel so audacious and safe to come like she is when she has been turned away and turned back in other places? She knows better. This is holy. This is a holy place. Jesus, this great prophet and teacher there, all the holy people hanging around. We up in the house and we know we not supposed to have people like you up in the house. Me and my house will serve the Lord. They probably had that sign on the wall stenciled. <laughs> Along with some other Bible verses on mugs. Y'all know how y'all do it. <laughs> Letting people know. You know, you probably have it over the, 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 the top of the thing when you come in. As for me and my house, we'll praise the Lord. Okay, I know that I act right in here. <laughs> right? And she comes anyway. Why? Because Jesus is there. Uh Uh-oh. And he's Lord there. I don't care who house it is. Jesus, the Lord, is there. 
There was a time in the life of Christ Central Church when we had some women, mainly women, who would have self-identified as lesbian. Oh, yeah, I'm going to tell you all some stories today. And I remember I prayed because when I would hang around Noda and I would see um, people and interact and get to know them, I was like, Lord, what are we going to do? Could, could, could you bring some same-sex attracted folk to our church? When you pray, God answers. Y'all remember? Some of y'all remember because I heard from y'all. And you know how you knew who they were? Because they were audacious. Yeah, putting arms around each other, holding hands, hugging, making eyes. Right? There were some parents, I don't know what to do with my kids, right? One of y'all said, I'm not going to say your name, you're here. (laughs) You're like, look, you got to take one for the team. Right? We in church. And then, let me, let me keep going with the story. One of the ladies came up to me and said, Pastor Brown, oh, I don't know how to ask you, but could you please do our wedding? Uh-oh. I'm like, your, your wedding? I don't see no dude, right? No. We want to get married. We're getting married in D.C. We would love for you to do our wedding. She goes, you know why? Because my friends need to see Jesus. And when I come to Christ Central, I hear the gospel. Right? I know what y'all are thinking. You ain't telling the full gospel because they would have known they were wrong, right? Man, that sounds a lot like Simon. Right? If he only knew who this woman was, he wouldn't let her up in here, right? Like, here we go. So she said, and I'm telling you, I had a fight within myself. Because I had to let her know, no, I can't do that. Right? I I, I don't do those kind of marriages. And I explained why in a nice way. I'm just telling y'all quick. And I kept thinking, what am I doing wrong as a pastor? What are we doing right? That would make her come and say, I like coming here because it's about Jesus. And he's there. And we can be there. And I can bring my friends there. And please, oh my gosh, if you could do our wedding, oh, the reason I want you to do it is so they can hear about Jesus as clearly as you. I see it on Sunday morning at Christ Central Church. Oh, I know y'all thinking all kind of things. You should have told them how wrong they were. Maybe their ask is not a sign again of what was wrong in our space. But maybe it's telling us that Jesus was truly alive in our church. Only reason that woman came up in there, Jesus was there. Okay, ready? When we look at our churches and we see who won't come, is Jesus there? Or is he at the table or... Is the guest of honor our morals? Right? Like, okay, I didn't even write this down, but just, just, just. How many churches is Jesus really there? And I'm not trying to act like we the Jesus church, right? But if our morals, the things you think make you righteous outside of Christ alone are the guest of honor. Sexually broken people will not come.
We are a church of the living God, and Jesus by the Holy Spirit is alive and being preached and offered. The sexually diverse world will find a space and a place in the people to find him because he transforms everything in every place by his presence as a place and space to him, regardless of where you are on the sexual spectrum, letting their lives be known and seen and identified and close to us. And Jesus, I know this is hard for y'all. For many of you, because I know that feeling. I experience it all the time. So I'm not trying to say I'm in a spot that you aren't. I'm just preaching the word. And I'm hearing it for myself. That, you know, this, that there is something in us that doesn't like or think certain people with certain ways. Who don't stand on or, or haven't reached a certain space on the sexual spectrum. Who haven't lived a certain lifestyle and been personally transformed in it. Should be allowed to think that God would dare welcome them and receive them. And actually let them grow closer to him and be in community with us like that. We want to confront them before they come to Jesus. Right? We want to make sure they know that the way they are is not a fit, right? To give them the stipulations, to force them into that hard reality and wall. Climb over this, get over this, and then you can come in here to be next to Jesus and next to us because we don't put up with that kind of shenanigans. Yet, like this passage, Jesus is hard for those of us in the church. Because he lets himself be touched and making people think they're okay because they're next to him. Why does he do that? Why does he make it so easy for sinners to come? And sinners, unfortunately, the definition is the one we have for it. Based on how far we think we are from God. Based on our lifestyle. And then we group together and we say, that's the church, right? We must wonder. And you know, if you go to the church, and this is where I believe diversity is so important. If you go to a church and everybody kind of has the same moral, you know, and they just all together, everybody, that's a problem. Better break that up. You should look around and be like, man, we all just believe in Jesus. We here, why? Jesus here, and I need to see him, and he need to see me. I, I mean, I messed up. I need to be here. What's your problem? Wow, that sure is a lot different than my problem. All right. That's the church. But church has become a place where people of, of, of fellow moral standards come together and then invite Jesus to be the guest. See, that's what Simon was thinking. Let, we, we good. Jesus, come on in. We got the thing set up nice. No sinners, no women running in here, grabbing people's feet and crying. None of that. We good. This is the church. And Jesus says, okay, you want to invite me? Mm-mm-mm. Here come everybody else with me. We must wonder what makes a people who claim to know grace and mercy and forgiveness to lock the door to a world of people living in sexual diversity that Jesus draws. You know why we're having this discussion? Because Jesus draws everybody. That's the problem. Oh, you know, can, can the gay person be in here? And can someone who identifies or struggles this way, can they actually be? Well, you know why? Because he brings everybody in and now we got to figure it out. If he only brought good people, a lot of y'all wouldn't be here. Right? Some of us, I'm going to use this word, hate that they, whoever they are, would dare to think they're going to get away with feeling and believing they are good with God like that. We just kind of we're going to upset you. Why are you trying to get right? Why are you trying to feel good about yourself? You're all gay and this and that and all backwards. Wearing a, carrying a purse. You just irritate me. Right? That's how we feel. And we have this kind of righteous indignation. And I'm not sure it's driven by a forgiving power of Jesus. This is where we have to check ourselves. Oh, it's hard. I go through it. 
Pastor Ryan, you a pastor, can I come? Oh, no, I got to go through this because I kind of don't want you to. Because I, I let you in. Look, if I, I let you feel like you are okay, you might taint the thing for us good people, for us heterosexuals, right? I got more problems with heterosexual Christians than others. Y'all be messing up. And the reason that is, is because maybe we are more impressed and prideful by where we are in, the sec in our sexuality than we actually are by Jesus. Right? Simon thinks to himself after this woman comes in, if Jesus could know who this woman is, and uh, y'all, I'm, I'm going to have to not read everything because we're running kind of long, but Simon thinks to himself after this woman comes in, if Jesus could know who this woman is, and if he were really a prophet, he would know. And you know what's really funny? He says if he was a prophet, he would really know what the, who this woman is. And then Jesus says, I know what you're thinking, Simon, right? <laughs> He's a prophet because they know what you're thinking. Right? And he tells him the story about how two men owe a debtor and one who owes a lot and one who owes not as much and who feels more forgiven and loves more is the one who's forgiven the most, right? I didn't read it, but y'all got the gist. Jesus saying that this woman is more impressed, hear me, by Jesus' holiness and message of grace to all people than she is condemned or driven by her own sexual situation. She had to be in order to come in there like that. But Simon the Pharisee is not making up a Jesus. You ain't gave me no water. Don't you hate when a guest tells you what you kind of missed? Like you walk in and <coughs> a little parched. The other night we were at community group. We were about to pray. And I, I brought from home, because you know, I kind of have the, the, the type 2 diabetes. And so I brought this like low-carb beer, beer that I had. And I poured me a glass and Amari. Bro, you only brought one? Right? Don't you hate when somebody catches you like, dang. And he did the whole... Sure is hot out there today, boss. Like, he, we went on and on. I mean, we had a good time. Sure was hard busting up the shift row today. Like, you know me and you. We got our little black cinema thing going on. But anyway, right? He says, Simon, I came to your house. You didn't do the basic things, right? You, you, you didn't care. You didn't hang my coat up on the hook. I had to throw it over the back of the couch, right? You didn't give me no water. You didn't put no ice in the water, right? You didn't do nothing. But, but Simon the Pharisee is not making all over Jesus. You know why? Because the story tells. Because he thinks he stands already close to Jesus. He thinks he's holy by how holy he is compared to everyone else. Not how close he is to God. If he were broken, he would have expressed being more impressed with and submissive and thankful to and praise God, not only for himself, but for her. When you get angry and hateful because you see somebody who's a little different looking like they're trying to work their way to the Lord. And people come up with all kind of arguments. Come on, y'all. You did too. You know, God is not concerned about this. He just wants me. And inside of you, I'm like, yeah, that ain't completely true. You know, he, he gonna want that too. But, but we, don't, we don't even give people a chance. We hate them. You know why? Because we love our self-righteousness. And when someone else gets in by grace, it begins to challenge why we really think we're there, right? When someone eases in, it looks like by grace. All these sexually and our broken people, right? They ease in and I love God, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, no, I love God because I'm heterosexual. No, no. See, what we've done is we've made somewhere along the line our heterosexuality in and of itself, a place of righteousness. Like I said, I got more problems with y'all than anybody else. Or just as many. How about that? 
Oh, it's an abomination. That other thing's unnatural. Look, it's still going to take a miracle to save some of y'all. Because y'all naturally messed up. Right? And so, just talking honest, I mean, in pastor ministry for a long time, and a heterosexual caused more trouble. Because maybe it's just more of y'all. But anyway, like, I want you to see this, though. Look at what goes into her worship of God. She gives what makes her most valuable and most ashamed at the same time. And alabaster boxes open in the place. And, and back then, if you opened the alabaster box, sometimes some things only had like one opening. So once you open it, you had to use it all. Right? It, it wasn't no screw top on some of them. Right? She opens and the place is filled with the pungent fragrance. And, 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 and it's most likely the most valuable thing she had. And her hair is let down. And she is weeping and crying. This is a woman laying out before God in full sensuality and full disclosure. And with everything she's got, it is a shameless public display. A freedom Jesus gives for her to say, this is who I am. And in that you will see all my sin and all my mess into my closet, into my sexual shame and brokenness. Jesus doesn't have to be a prophet to know who she is. She has let him and everybody else in the room know that she is drawn in her brokenness by the way she worships. In the way she worships Jesus, she's saying, as much as this life has shaped me and shamed me and even comforts me, as much as my sexuality has given me an identity, nothing, Lord, impresses me and gives me worth or value or identity more than you, Jesus. I am more impressed with you and your grace and your lordship and your love than I am my own sexuality. I am willing to give it all to you. The church must be a people more impressed by Jesus than our sexual morality and rules and standards. Okay, ready? Let me, let me, let me flip this real quick. So we think the sinner is called to break the alabaster box and cry and let their hair down. Yes. But unless the person who thinks they're righteous takes what they think makes them righteous and break that before Jesus, won't it become a place and space for all sinners to come to him? Will you lay down your heterosexuality as broken too? just as much in need of God's grace as others. I had an opportunity, like I said, I'm going to tell you a few stories. I, um, early on, when we had uh, started Christ Central Church, I, um, I met with a woman who was identified as lesbian. We met for a couple years. She was coming to Christ Central. And uh, she says, I, I want to be a part talk to the elders and this is what was decided and I told her here is my sexuality it's not pure it's not right I even put it this way God ain't done with it yet where I'm starting is not right until I get to the end, right? I'm putting that out before him and you in community. Will you do the same? Will you break your alabaster box on the feet of the Lord? We can't offer people that because we aren't willing to take our alabaster box and break it first. Until we believe we're on a journey too. 
and we're received and accepted by grace. I had a roommate who was same-sex attracted, believer. I remember those days when we would pray for each other. It was like an alabaster break in prayer time. He would talk about his stuff, ways he struggled, ways he fell. I would talk about pornography, my struggles, living foul in my treatment of women, in my own toxic heterosexuality. God did some beautiful things there. Even now, y'all, forget LGBTQ for a minute, plus whatever, for a minute. I'm not sure we can actually be honest with our sexuality, even for heterosexual. It's really bad when you're a pastor. I feel sometimes trapped. I can't confess. I, 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 can't, I can't always bring it. The shame. The fear that I'm going to be rejected. Right? I'm stuck. What must it be for somebody? If I'm stuck, yo, I need help. My heterosexuality is way off track. Right? So I'll confess that. I was talking to my counsel the other day. Why is this going on? Why do I think this? Why do I act like this? Why, what's going on? Why can't me and my wife connect here, here, and here, and here, and here? What's wrong with me? If I feel that way, What must it feel like to be cut off and trapped from coming to Christ? I'm going to skip to the end here. Jesus tells her, your sins are forgiven. And the, pre and the good people in the room say, what? Who do you think you are, Christ? Christ. And she goes in peace. And I know what y'all are thinking. <laughs> when Jesus says go, Pastor Brown, most scriptures say, Jesus said go and sin no more. And we make that the linchpin of being with Jesus. That Jesus is actually saying you're forgiven, but that is really actually ultimately true if you never sin again. None of y'all getting into heaven. None of y'all. Go and sin no more means you are no longer a sinner, but you are a child of God because I've declared you righteous so that your sin and nothing else can condemn you or keep you from me. And she goes in peace. It's a scandalous message, y'all. To say you're forgiven. Not because I know you're going to be perfect. Or because you won't be same-sex attracted anymore. Or you won't stumble. Or you won't make mistakes. Or you won't be confused about whether you should go hard this way or hard that way. You're declared righteous. I'm going to tell you, Reformed confessional Christians. We say it. But we have a hard time believing it's true. Especially when it comes to sexual, sexuality issues. You can't say you're Jesus just because Jesus is just because Jesus says that declares you righteous. No, you got to be righteous this and this and this way. Someone asked a question. 
Can someone gay be a believer? Oh boy, he's going to answer it. If gay people are ever going to get to heaven, the answer would have to be yes. Right? If you're same-sex attracted, how else would you be healed? Right? How else could you go in peace? How else could the forgiving power of Jesus get you there if you didn't start there? It's hard. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Lord, help us. Some of us are caught in sexuality that is beyond our power. Do you give sexually broken people faith? You gave this woman faith. Yes, you do. I pray that we would be a space in the people where anybody can be found by you and given faith to believe. Help us as a church not to doubt that what we consider the worst sinner can go to heaven today if they believe in you. I do pray though, Lord, that you would sanctify our sexual lives. But not because of behavior change. Only. but because of your powerful grace. I pray for the people at Christ Central. I pray that they would not doubt your power to help reach those who are so much different than we are, that we hate, that we want to keep away from tainting our faith and our churches and our homes and our families. Help our same-sex attracted brothers and sisters be able to bring it all to Christ. This I ask and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.